From St. John's Gospel, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, good morning. There's an old proverb. It might be a Chinese proverb. It might not be. I don't know. But the proverb goes like this. May you live in interesting times. And friends, I'm going to submit to you that we live in interesting times. Gas is five bucks a gallon. Inflation is running rampant. Housing prices are skyrocketing. While at the same time, the stock market closed at record highs on Friday. Now, I, I am no economist, but I do watch YouTube videos. And no one knows what is going on. No one seems to have any sense of what is in front of us. We, in front of us, we do, in fact, live in interesting times. Or just recently, another example. I was in the Denver airport. If you're from Denver, no offense. Uh, Denver's a beautiful place. It is a, a little bit strange for me as a Floridian because it's this mixture of very, very progressive, very progressive, and also people with cowboy hats and cowboy boots, and it's a, in the airport anyway. It was, struck me as this odd confluence of cultures, but uh, it's a strange thing. Even I was walking through the airport in Denver, and they have those kiosks. You know they have them in the airports now? You can buy stuff. And there is, was a kiosk that said, uh, now one thing I don't know about Denver too is that Denver is one of the most, and this is not my opinion, this is fact, one of the most non-Christian cities in the country. And they sort of wear that proudly, I'll admit. But the weird thing is that even though there's no God in Denver, or very little anyway, they will enforce all sorts of moral and ethical standards, mainly about gender pronouns and things like that. But even further, here's one that struck me. You ready? You ready? I was walking along, minding my own business, drinking a Starbucks, and there was a big kiosk, and they were selling these t-shirts that had bold, highlighted letters, capital letters, that said, be nice to people, or else. Let me ask you a question that no one ever seems to ask. Be nice to people. Why? I mean, I'm being totally serious on that. If you take God out of the picture, if you are operating, operating in a godless context, there is no God, just the brotherhood of a man and the city of Denver, right? Why, without God, should I be nice to people? You say, well, because it's the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, says who? If there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. Listen to this, and if I lose you, I'm sorry, but this is an important point. If there is no God, there are no moral absolutes, except those upon which the culture agrees, right? Well, of course we should be nice people. Everybody says so. But I want to caution you on this. Think about this for just a moment. What if moral and ethical standards are based upon a common group identity, a common vote, a common cultural idea. That, friends, is a terrifying notion. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. If our ethics and our morality is based upon what we agree upon as a social structure, well, be thankful you're not a Jew in 1939 in Germany. Or be thankful that you're not an African-American in 18th century America. Or be thankful you weren't a woman in the night before 1920. See my point? 
if ethics and morals are just a, not, a fra- not a God thing, but just based upon our set of assumptions, that's a terrifying idea. If there is no God, friends, there are no moral absolutes. And don't take my, my word for it. It's a famous guy. I hear talk about him every once in a while. A 19th century atheist and sociopath named Frederick Nietzsche. He made the exact point 130 years ago that without God, there are no moral absolutes. And so therefore, the way that you have morals is you enforce them. Be nice to people or else. Friends, I want to say this as we celebrate Christ the King. Without God, all moral judgments are personal opinion. But I want to caution you and think, again, think, right? We're called to think as Christians. Nobody actually lives that way. I've never met anybody who wasn't a psychopath that lived like Frederick Nietzsche. And the reason is because we all do believe that the world should be fill-in-the-blank. The world should be this. The world should be bad. We do think the world should be a better place. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because everyone actually does believe in God. And even more importantly, everyone believes in the kingdom of God. Just this past week, there was this trial. You may have heard about it. Um, this uh, idea of this, uh, this uh, Rittenhouse trial in, out in Colorado, or not in Colorado, in... That's right. And so, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, how did I forget? I'm not, I'm not going to get into the details of the case. I do have strong opinions on the matter, and if you want to know them, you can ask me later in coffee hour. But the point I want you to see in all, and that whole discussion this past week, was people were just regimented. This is wrong. And they were absolutely morally justified in what they thought. Why? Well, we are comparing this world to the way the world should be. Well, friends, where, in fact, where is that should? Where is this kingdom? Where is this standard that we appeal to? That's what we're going to talk about today. On the Feast of Christ the King, two points today. That Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And secondly, but it will be. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but it will be, point two. So my first thing is, the kingdom, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not of this world. You know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, we read one of the most famous uh, cross-examinations in all history, right, between Jesus Christ and Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the Roman procurator of Judea. He was a bit of a loser, He was put in Judea to keep the Jews in line because he was politically had gotten himself into trouble. He was kind of there because no one wanted else to be there. And so Pilate asks Jesus, as part of this interrogation, he says to Jesus, are you a king? And I never noticed this before this past week, but think about it. Jesus actually accuses or questions his interrogator, and he says, Jesus turns the question back on Pilate and says, do you say this of your own accord? And look at what's going on here. The interrogator becomes the interrogated. The guy on the stand becomes the the judge and juror of himself. And then Jesus says to Pilate, I do in fact have a kingdom. In fact, I have an army, but my kingdom is not of this world. Now let's just look at that for one second. That word for kingdom is the Greek word basileos. 
and it's typically translated the kingdom of God. But another way you can translate that, I would say a better way to translate it, is reign, R-E-I-G-N. My reign is not of this world. That's a better translation. And don't miss the irony here, because here is Pontius Pilate, one of the cruelest, the guy who epitomizes Roman cruelty and Roman power politics, and his famous what is truth, jipping with contemptuous patronizing like somebody from The View. But Jesus says, his reign is not of this world. Well, then where is it exactly? After all, he says he's a king. He says he has an army. Where is it? Well, unless Jesus is lying, or unless he's crazy, then there is, in fact, a real physical kingdom somewhere with an army, a throne, and the whole enchilada. So where is this kingdom? Well, most people would say, in fact, I would have always said this until I thought about it this past week, that Jesus' kingdom is in heaven, which it is for now. But it's not quite that simple. Most things in Scripture aren't quite that simple. Most people would say that heaven is a future reality, right? When Christ returns, the dead shall be resurrected, and heaven and earth will be reunited. That heaven is to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we say. But it's not quite that simple. Because earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says to a guy named Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's present tense. Don't miss that. The kingdom of God is not just some abstract idea, some wishful thinking, some fairy tale. No. It is to come. We know that for sure through Scripture, but also it is something which is here with us now. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see it. More about that in a moment. But the thing I want you to see, friends, that the kingdom of God is not of this world, at least not yet. But I would submit to you that all human beings, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, we live by the standards of the kingdom of God. We wait, we live for the standards of the kingdom of God, even as we wait for it. Anytime we say the world should be this, the moral outrage on either side of the issue with this thing in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The minute we say the world should be this, we are comparing this world to the kingdom of God. Even in our secular culture, friends, we, secular people, atheistic people, non-believers, yearn for the kingdom of God where things will be done rightly. Well, why is that? Because the Bible says we were made to live in paradise with him, and we were created in his image. And so we yearn as part of our being as humans for this kingdom to be here. Even Marxists, even atheistic Marxists, they yearn for the kingdom of God. They, like all of us, yearn for the kingdom of God. They want it now, and they want it on their own power, you see. That's the hook. We all know the world should be better. The question is, do we do it ourselves and force it at the point of a spear? Would we wait for Christ to come back, like he says, and set all things to rights? My point is, friends, every single one of us wants this world to be better than it is. We demand it. We expect it. Where in your own life are things a mess? 
because they are. Everybody's got something. Where in your life right now is there suffering or pain or grief or uncertainty or fear or insecurity? It's not fair, you say, and you're right. It's not fair. The world is not fair because we yearn for the kingdom where things are fair. It's part of who we are. We were made for it. We compare this world to the kingdom that we were made for because you were made for something better and because I was made for something better. You know, this week is Thanksgiving week. I love Thanksgiving. A lot of people are getting together to give thanks. And by the way, Thanksgiving is a prayer book holiday, 10 o'clock in the chapel. Thursday, you won't miss any football. But, the re- but, you know, Thanksgiving is a great week. In fact, I was watching a TV show yesterday. They said that Thanksgiving is more fun than Christmas. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, just realize something which is really important, that for a lot of people, for a lot of people, Thanksgiving is actually not all that easy. For a lot of people, Thanksgiving is a difficult time because the things of this world, the things that they yearn for and strive for, the loneliness, the loss, the death that someone has experienced, that pain is real, man. Name it and claim it, the Baptist would say. And the reason it's real is because, friends, you and I were made for the kingdom of God, the kingdom which is not of this world, but it will be. And that's my second point. Jesus tells us this, that when he returns, when he he returns at the end of the world, his kingdom will move from not of this world to this world. He will reign as king, really and physically. I mean, either he's a liar or he tells the truth, and this is what he says, that when he returns, the dead shall be resurrected, evil will be judged, Jesus will set the world to rights once and for all. The should will be real. If your hope is in this world, friends, it will fail you because you were made for something better. We're going to talk about this all through the next four weeks of Advent about Christ's second coming when the kingdom comes and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in just a few moments, we are going to baptize not one, not two, but three young men, little boys. Robert, Cor- Robert Corbin and Colton, they will be baptized. They will be, to quote Jesus, born again by water and the Holy Spirit. The stain of original sin will be washed away by the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will take root in them and begin to grow them and nurture them and, and be- make them into kingdom dwellers. And with the encouragement of their parents and their godparents and you, they will grow into mature, faithful, believing men who will call Jesus their king and will live under his reign. Who, like all of us, will pray with expectation, thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These young men will learn to live like kingdom people like we all are, who are strangers in a sometimes very strange land, but yet we don't lose our hope because we know that we were made for the world to come, that we live as kingdom people even in the world which sometimes turns its back on the very same king that they live according to. 
who live under the reign of Jesus Christ, our King, until he returns in glory. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you on this day for the reminder that Jesus is Christ, our King. Remind us that always that in suffering and in confusion and in strife and all the consequences of this world, living in a fallen world, that Jesus still reigns and that we are called to live according to his will. Keep our heads up and our eyes focused, waiting on his return when he will put all things to rights and reign as king forever. In his name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.